Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Amen. You may be seated. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. As always, you can follow along with me on my notes on the Bible app. And listen to this message again via the website or via podcast. And one of the things we ended last Wednesday's experience with is we told you that you should pray the Ephesians 1 prayer three times a day for the rest of the year. We talked a little bit of reason why last week. But now, today, we're going to break down what is this prayer actually saying. Because when you understand what it's saying, faith will rise in your heart, and that prayer will be more effective for you. So I want to remind you of your homework. For the rest of the year, you want to pray this prayer for yourself three times a day. So starting in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. So every day, all the day, I'm thanking God for you. But notice how he prays for them. There are different prayers you see, especially in the New Testament, that are Holy Spirit-inspired prayers. And if it's a Holy Spirit-inspired prayer, it doesn't just work thousands of years ago. It works today as well. And so this is what Paul, by the Holy Ghost, is praying for the church at Ephesus. This is what we pray for the church at Smyrna. This is what we pray for our personal lives. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Now, a lot of times we just speed by it. But when I would read this prayer and I would pray this prayer, I would find it very interesting. Well, why did he say the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory? Why not the God of glory and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? And I would begin to think about it. But one of the things I began to realize as I was looking at this and study it more closely, that this title or description of God, God being the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, speaks to the submission and obedience of Jesus. This title speaks to the submission and the obedience of Jesus. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, he's God himself. But notice the Father is called his God. What did Jesus say to the women after he was raised from the dead? I'm going up to see my God and your God. Right? Jesus was submitted. Go to Philippians chapter 2. This title marks the obedience and the submission of Jesus. Which should give us this mindset. If we're going to pray this prayer, we should be submitted to the will of God just like Jesus was submitted to the will of God. We should be obedient to God just like Jesus was obedient to God. Because Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Let this same mind, the same mentality, the same thinking be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God and to represent God, but made, him, made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. 
And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. How was he obedient unto death? God told him to die, so he did. What did Jesus say? He says, no one takes my life. They can't take it from me. I lay it down. So people say, oh, the Romans killed Jesus. The Jews killed Jesus. Now Jesus laid his life down because Jesus said, I'm bad enough to lay it down. I'm bad enough to pick it back up. So he became obedient to the death of the cross, the most shameful death there is, the most brutal death there was at the time. He was obedient to God's command even unto death. And as a result, God also highly exalted him and gave him a name or authority, which is above every name and authority, that at the name and the authority of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was obedient to death. So if we're going to pray this Ephesians 1 prayer for ourselves, and want the same results, we should have that same obedience and commitment and dedication to our Father. That if anyone could say, I think I know something, it would be Jesus. But he was obedient. He says, I only say what I hear my Father say. I only do what I see my Father do. He was obedient even unto death, and God rewarded his obedience. God always rewards obedience. Whether it looks like it or not, if you're obedient to God, he will reward you. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, then it also calls him the Father of glory. When you're doing a Bible study, look at every single word, every single punctuation, every single thing so you can see what the text is saying. Now, why is Paul in this prayer calling him the Father of glory? Very simply, the glory comes from God. The glory of God is heavy with everything good. God's glory includes his magnificence, his splendor, his honor, and his abundance. God's glory includes his magnificence, his splendor, his honor, and his abundance. Glory in the Hebrew means heavy with everything good. So what Paul is about to ask for in prayer is coming from the glory of God. The result and answer of this prayer is the glory of God manifesting in a very specific way. So he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of a number of Wednesday nights ago, we defined wisdom as correctly applied knowledge. Wisdom is correctly applied knowledge. Spirit of wisdom and revelation. We make revelation some big biblical word that has some super deep meaning. Revelation is simply disclosure or revealing. Imagine that you're at a theater and there's a curtain in front of the stage covering the set. When the curtain is pulled back, you have a revelation of the stage. So all revelation is a revealing or a disclosure or a removing of whatever covers. It's also an enlightening. 
so that you may have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. But notice it's not just the spirit of revelation. It's the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. This word knowledge means recognition, full discernment, which means to fully being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure. It's perception. It's acknowledgement. This word knowledge means recognition, full discernment, fully being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure. It is perception and it's acknowledgement. The Amplified Classic Edition calls it the deep and intimate knowledge of him. The message version says, praise that to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing him personally. This knowledge is not knowledge gained only by studying, but a knowledge that also comes from an intimate relationship of knowing someone personally. There's a lot of things you can learn from somebody by reading about them. But there's another level of things you learn by someone by spending time with them and knowing them personally. And this knowledge is not just what you read. It's the intimacy that comes with it. So Paul is praying that we will have full disclosure and be able to grasp and perceive the intimate knowing of God personally and that we'll be able to correctly apply that knowledge. A lot of people can get that knowledge, but that doesn't mean they apply it correctly. So a lot of people can read the Bible, get some knowledge, Spend some time with God, get some knowledge, but they don't know what to do with the knowledge. It's like a lot of people who are book smart but street dumb. They have all this information, but they really don't know how to live it. And Paul doesn't want us just to have so much knowledge. He wants us to know how to put it to practice, how to use it. It's like, oh, yes, I'm really close with God, but how are you going to live that out? So that's what Paul is praying here. So this is a prayer that upgrades our spiritual perception and our insight. Now, what does that do for us? Go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. As we said last week, at going to this end of this year and next year, our perception is key. What we see is key. Because we have to be able to see things a regular person can't see so we can go to the place God has for us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. It's part of the opening of this letter, but notice what he says. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus. So wait a minute. How is grace and peace multiplied to us? Through knowledge. But it's the same knowledge as that previous verse we just read. It is the perception and the recognition and the intimate knowing of God. So this prayer we're praying will cause grace and peace to be multiplied to our lives. Now, those are very spiritual words. So what does that mean? Grace has over 19 different definitions in the New Testament alone. Some are gift, favor, divine influence upon the heart, spiritual gifts, 
the anointing, benefit, the power of God, graciousness, thanksgiving, thanks, what is acceptable, and more. In the context of our time together tonight, a summary of grace can be defined as God's overwhelming desire to treat you like sin never happened. Imagine that power multiplied in your life, not just a little bit. That's all grace abounding towards you, that you have all sufficiency in all things and abound to every good work. Your life going on such a transformation doesn't even look like sin ever touched you. But then peace as well. That word peace from this Greek word is as peace by implication, prosperity. It is also quietness and rest and set at one again, which reminds me of the Hebrew word for peace, which means wholeness, nothing missing, nothing broken. So through this intimate knowing of God, all these definitions of grace abound towards your life and are continually multiplied. And then peace, which by implication means prosperity, quietness, rest, and wholeness is multiplied to you through this intimate knowing of God and knowing how to correctly apply that knowledge. This is what Paul is praying. This is what I'm telling you to pray for yourself three times a day. And this is the results it brings. One of the things I told you last week is I remember reading that Hagen said sometime in the 30s or 40s, he began praying that prayer for himself three times a day. And he says, you know, first couple of weeks, it seemed like nothing happened. But all of a sudden, revelation started coming to him. He would open the word of God, and he began to understand things more he never saw before. It was always right there, but it never really clicked. But he says he attributes to it praying that prayer multiple times a day and increased his spiritual perception. And what it increased him, brought revelation to him, he taught, and our lives today are blessed because that man prayed it three times a day. How many people will be blessed because you prayed that prayer so many times a day? Because grace and peace will be multiplied to you. So grace and peace are multiplied to the believer through the knowledge, perception, recognition, and intimate knowing of God and of our Lord Jesus. Let's go back to Ephesians 1. So what else does receiving or being granted the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him do? Why is Paul praying that we receive this? Verse 18, so that the eyes of your understanding are being enlightened. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Of course, eyes, we know, means vision, sight. But this word understanding, depending on how you what translation? Some define it as heart. Some define it as mind. Some is defined as deep thought or imagination. It is your perception, how you view the world. It's not natural sight. It's how you view things. But notice being enlightened, which means illuminated to brighten up. The Amplified Classic Edition says flooded with light, that your perception is flooded with light. If it's flooded with light, there's no room for darkness at all. Have you ever been in places where they have those big floodlights? And when those big floodlights comes on, all the shadows disappear. There's nowhere for darkness to hide when your eyes are flooded with light. The Good News Translation says, 
I ask that your minds may be opened to see his light. Another translation says, I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened. God wants your eyes to be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. Now, why would you have to pray for your eyes to be opened? You might think, well, I'm just going to open my eyes right now. Well, you have to pray this prayer because, number one, you may have closed your eyes. As we looked at last week, Matthew 13, 15, Jesus said that group of people have closed their own eyes. But also, you have to pray that prayer because Satan is trying to blind you. Go to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is recounting his testimony and how Jesus appeared to him and how Jesus told him what he was called to do. Acts 26, verse 16. Notice what it says. Jesus said unto him, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared unto you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of these things which you have seen and those things in which I will appear unto you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send you. Why? To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, they may, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which, is sanct- which are sanctified by faith that is in me, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. God told Paul his call was to go and open the eyes of the nations so that they won't be in darkness, but they would be in light. So he's saying that all these people outside of Christ are blinded and in darkness. They don't know what they're doing because they're blind. But God's saying, I'm sending you to open their eyes. What does 2 Corinthians 4, 4 tell us? In whom the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Notice in this verse it calls Satan the God of this world. It's talking about he is the leader of this world system. All of the systems of this earth that he has set up are designed to make you blind. It's designed to keep you in the dark. It's designed to keep you away from the goodness of God and everything that God has available for you. What is sad is so many people in the church are just as blind as people in the world because they live just like the world, act just like the world, talk just like the world, see just like the world, and they don't realize so much more is available unto them. Their eyes are covered, so they don't know what God has for them. Blind Christians go to heaven, but they miss out on heaven on earth. They miss out on what God has for them, even though it's right in front of them. You can put everything someone needs right in front of them, but blind them so they don't know it's there. And what happens? They could keep walking and stumble into something 
and oh, I have what I need right in front of me. But how much easier would it be if they could see? How many people are living life stumbling into things, just happening to have success, just happened to find their talents, just happened to find the right open door? They just stumbled in when they could see clearly and follow God right into it. Too many people stumble through life when God wants to lead them by his spirit, but they're blind to what God has for them. Go back to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. Praying that you might receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him, so that the eyes of your understanding are being enlightened, the eyes of your heart, of your mind, your imagination flooded with light, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. Hope, the confident expectation of his invitation. So you can know what he's invited you to. You can be invited to the world's greatest festival that has everything you need. If you show up, they're going to pay all your bills, give you everything you need for the rest of your life, and never know you have an invitation. Never even know you're expected to show up. You just wanted someone to invite you, but the invitation's in your mailbox, but you don't go to your mailbox. How many people miss out on God's invite? Because it's not just an invite to be saved. It's an invite to receive everything he has for you. But people miss out on the invite because they can't see. Go to 1 Corinthians 2. 1 There's so much God has for you. 1 Corinthians 2. Verse 6, Paul says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the prince of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the prince of this world knew, for had they known it, they would have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered to the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Everybody loves that scripture. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, it hasn't even entered into man's heart. All the thing God has prepared because he loves us. Verse 10, but God hath, past tense, revealed them unto us by his spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So this saying the Holy Spirit has already revealed it. If it's already revealed it, why can't people see it? They're blind. They don't have light in this area. So it goes on to talk about the deep things of God. Verse 12 says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Already given. Already done. Free. We don't have to buy it. We don't have to pay for it. It's ours. 
There are so many things God has already given you that you haven't seen yet. Not like you're waiting for it to show up. You already got it. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Then we'll get back to the rest. What do you already have that you have no clue you have? Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, past tense, blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. It's already yours. So all was in the heavenly places. Well, so are you. You see there the right hand of God. And if it's already yours, even if it's a place you're not, you can make a claim on it. You know, Jesus said that we should not just store things on earth with moth and rust corrupt and destroy, but put our treasure in heaven. Do you know if you make a deposit, you can make a withdrawal? But most people don't even realize that, yep, I'll give, I give, I give, and they never make a withdrawal. They don't know how to make a withdrawal. Do you know why? They're blind. They don't even know they got a heavenly bank account. They don't even know there's a bank in heaven. They don't even know they can withdraw things from heaven. Oh, the doctor says that this organ needs to be replaced, but I'm so far away on the waiting list. I don't know how I'm going to get this new organ. I don't even realize the spare parts. Think about it this way. God's a genius. He made our bodies. And sometimes when you make things, you know, sometimes eventually parts need to be replaced. So why do you think God does not have replacement parts for you? I don't know how I'm going to replace this. Ask him. Sir, do you want the doctor to replace it or are you going to replace it? There are things laid up for you in heaven that you've never accessed yet. And it's already yours. But you'll never see it if your eyes are covered. You'll realize what's yours and how to access it as you continually pray this prayer. These are not things you're trying to get. They're things that are already yours. And what are the riches of the glory or the abundance of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? There is abundance of glory That is the inheritance of the saints. The Holy Spirit is the abundance of the glory. And he's put that glory in us, and he gave us an inheritance. See, the thing isn't about an inheritance. You can have it but never use it. You can have it and never know it's yours. If you never read the will and testament, you'll never know you have an inheritance. If you never read the New Testament, you never realize Jesus left you something. Not just for when you get to heaven, but for right now here on the earth. The Holy Spirit on the inside of us and what is available to us in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Paul calls the earnest or the down payment. 
Your baptism in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit moving on the inside of you when you're born again is just the down payment of the glory of God, of what you're going to receive. We haven't seen anything yet. And it all belongs to us. For the rest of eternity, God's going to show off. And he doesn't want it to start once we get to heaven. It says in the ages to come, we are in an age to come. He wants to show off, but he can't show off if his people are blind. He'll keep showing off, but his people can't see it. We talked about last week, talk about people who won't see when good comes. It doesn't mean good won't come. It just means they can't see it. How many things is God doing? How many times are we showing off, but we're missing it because we're looking in the wrong place or our eyes are blinded? It's our inheritance. It belongs to us. It's in us. We don't have to go somewhere and get it. It's already on the inside. How many things has God put on the inside of you never knew were there? How many gifts, how many graces, how many anointings that you stumbled into? You didn't even know you could do something. Whoa, where did that came from? He put it into you a long time ago. Sometimes you just need to ask God, well, God, what did you put on the inside of me? I saw a quote from my friend David Winston. He preached here this year. He'll be back here next year. And he posted, if God calls you to do something and you don't have enough money to do it, that means you're not supposed to fulfill it with money alone. That means you have to tap into the supernatural resources of creativity and wisdom. So if God calls you to do something and you don't have enough money to do it, look on the inside. What else do you got? It's like the man of God said to the woman, what's in your house? Remember last week we said start looking at things differently. Stop looking at things as insufficiency or a lack. Look at what you have and look at what can it become. When you look at your children, what can they become? Don't make them into your image. Don't make them follow them into the way you think they should follow. But especially if they're little, look for clues. Look for giftings. Look for talents. Look for things that identify who they are. And ask God, how do I grow it? How do I increase that? How do I sow into that? So that they can become everything God has for them. God has put something on in each and every one of us. But if we don't see it, we'll never realize the benefit of it. Dad Hagen said it this way. He said, some people live and die and never leave the preparation phase of their calling. They don't even get into phase one. And I, remember, and I believe most of those people never even knew all the things God put into them. Do you know what I think might be one of the saddest moments for Christians in eternity? It's not that they go to hell. They're believers. They go to heaven. But it's they get to heaven and they realize everything they could have had on earth. They get to heaven and realize everything they could have done on earth. But for whatever reason, they miss the opportunity. Leonard Ravenhood said it this time. said it this way. The opportunity of a lifetime must be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. You have an opportunity in front of you. You have an open door in front of you. But you must seize the opportunity. You must go through the open door. 
and do what God has for you. But in order to see the opportunity, you have to see things differently. You see a problem, it may be an opportunity. You see the circumstance, it's not enough. It may be what you need to take you to a higher place. So Ephesians, the hope of his calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness. That phrase exceeding greatness means far beyond the great of his power. That is the dynamic, supernatural, miraculous ability of God. To us, word, who believe. That power is to us and it's for us. It's not just some magical, mystical power out somewhere. It's to you and it's for you. It belongs to you. It's available to you if you believe. Most people don't believe so they don't have the power. But if you believe, there's power available to you and for you. According to the working of his mighty power. That word working is energy, efficiency, and operation. The mighty power is the might of his power. We saw the might of his power, it says, when he raised Jesus from the dead. That power that took Jesus out of hell and put him back in his body and glorified with all the glory that it is, that brought him back to life, that bust those walls of the tomb open, angels came down to assist, Jesus walks out of that tomb, that power is available to you. Not one day to come, not in a sweet by and by, right now. What can you do with that power in your life right now? But it's just according, efficiency. You can have different levels of that power. And you can also waste that power. We've all heard our parents talk about wasting power. Somewhere a little extra. Don't open that door at all. All that air conditioning is going to cool off the neighborhood. You raised my light bill. You left the light on for five minutes. We know people talk about wasting power. But the Christian wastes the most power. All the power of God available to them wasting away. Because they don't see it or they never access it or they access it. Their spiritual internal systems are working on an inefficient level. So it takes a whole lot of power for a little small miracle because they're inefficient. They don't walk in love. They don't walk in faith. They don't do the spiritual things they know to do. So it takes a whole lot of power just to do something small. But if we're praying this prayer, our eyes are going to be open. We're going to see things we need to fix. We see things differently. We don't see it as a problem. We see it as an opportunity. We see these things in front of us. Now that's not too hard. Greater is he who's in me. I got this. I can handle this. I can do this because I see things differently. You don't see it as a setback. You just know you're bracing for your comeback. But it's all about how you see it. 
Because if you see it wrong, you won't understand the expectation of his invitation. You won't see the power that's available towards you. And you won't know that you have an inheritance. So you just go through life living like a normal person, even though you're supernatural. You're just trying to get through life like everybody else on this earth. Not realizing on the inside, God has put everything you'll ever need. See, God makes deposits in your heart all the time. Especially in church when the glory of God gets to move, the Holy Ghost gets to move. We have one of those wild experiences. You could just be sitting, watching what's going on. But the Holy Ghost is putting things on the inside of you. There's the ministry of angels. They're depositing things on the inside of you. And you don't know what's going on because you don't see it. You don't feel it. You just think, oh, look at the Holy Ghost do something. But he's putting things on the inside of you. And then you get out there, and he's like, well, how did I know that? Well, how did I do that? He put something in you when you came to church. There's times I get up and minister, and a whole bunch of people come out. There's days it seems like there's Mark Hankins. Ah, oh, there's Bishop. Ah, oh, there's Benny Hinn. Ah, oh, there's Kenneth Copeland. There's Sister Billy. What happened? I was in their meetings. They laid their hands on me. They prayed for me. There was impartations that went on the inside that I would never know they were there if I never stood up and opened my mouth. And just watched God, what he put on the inside of me. God has put things in you that when you stand up in the place God has called you to, it'll flow. It flows because I stand up in the place God has called me to. For you to see what to flow doesn't mean you have to stand in the pulpit. You may need to stand in your business, stand in your school, Whatever area arena God has called you, just step up and expect God to manifest. Because what happens, especially if you're part of this church, the grace that's on me to pastor this church, the same grace that's on me to do the supernatural, is what grace comes on you to do what you do in your everyday life. You need to start saying that same power that's on pastor when he lays on the sick is about to work on my bills right now. That same power that fixes things at the church is about to fix things at my job right now. Talk about that power. Access that power. It's not just enough to see the supernatural at church on Sunday and on Wednesday. Expect it to happen at your office. And it doesn't mean everybody at your office is going to fall out. It could happen. But what could happen is things shift and change. All of a sudden, they get the right contract. They may not realize it's because you're there. But it happened because you're there. But it's all available to you. Realize you may be at the job you dislike for a purpose. Instead of praying, God, get me another job, ask God, what's my purpose at this job? Instead of complaining about the other employees, well, God, which one do you want me to be a blessing to? Stop seeing things as problems and look for assignments. Because let's say it's a job you don't enjoy, but you're assigned to be there. Once you complete the assignment, God will put you somewhere else. But you keep complaining and you miss the assignment, you can be there longer than you need to be. And you wonder, well, why am I here so long? You. And there may be some things God wants to teach you in this assignment, this season of your life. Learn the lesson so you can move on. Because if you don't learn the lesson, you're going to be insufficient in the days to come. And you won't wonder, why didn't someone teach me this? 
you didn't pay attention to what God was supposed to teach you. He's always speaking to us, but we're not always listening. So instead of complaining about the season, learn about the season. And realize pressure, which is tribulation, will produce patience if you let it. So don't give in to the pressure. Just know endurance, endurance is building. And when patience has its complete work, James says, you'll be perfect, entire, wanting, or lacking nothing. But you can only see those things that way if your eyes are open. It's like what Paul said. You know, a lot of us think we have problems. Paul had problems. And he says, ah, it's, only, it's a little thing. It's light. It's temporal. It's subject to change. Dude, Paul, some people are trying to kill you. You've been shipwrecked how many times? We don't even know if you can swim. All these people are doing things to you. And he says, ah, it's nothing. It's going to change soon for me. Why? He saw things differently. You can't see this problem like it's going to take you out. You can't see these giants as undefeatable. If a 17-year-old shepherd boy can take down a giant and save his nation, under an old covenant, what can you do today? Washed in the blood, Holy Ghost on the inside, Holy Ghost on the outside, got an inheritance in heaven. What can't you do? But if you're blind, you'll never do it. But if your eyes are open, you'll be able to see it. And then you'll know exactly what you're supposed to do. But your eyes must be open. As you go into this next year, you need to see things clearly. Because you get to a point where you can ask God, okay, God, why did you do what you did there? There's a lot of things. I know God's at work, but God, I don't know why you did that. Ask him. See, the thing is, people who are far away only know his actions. People who are close know his ways. It says Israel knew his actions, his acts, but no, Moses understood why he did what he did. Why? Proximity. Intimate relationship. This is the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the intimate knowing of him. You can be understanding, okay, what is God doing in this situation? You won't be the believer that says, is God ever moving in my life? Yes, he's moving in my life, and this is what he's doing. And some things take longer than overnight to change. But if your eyes are open, you can see what's going on, and you won't be as concerned because your confidence is in God, and you have confident expectation of his invitation. But in order to get there, we have to see things differently. It'll grow us spiritually. It'll give us insight so that we can conquer in the land God has for us. Because one of the things we go, we talk about horizon. We'll talk more and more about it at the end of this year and next year. A lot of people see things on the horizon, and they stay there. Because, oh, one day, and one day never comes. Oh, I see some good things on the horizon, but good days never get here. We're calling next year Horizon 2018 because we're not going to leave things on the horizon anymore. We're going to go get it. We're not going to say, well, the best days are yet to come for Faith Christian Center. We're about to go get some best days. Because it's right there. One of the things I'm going to talk about in January, I've been studying Joshua. 
And I asked God, and he showed me, I said, God, why did you tell Joshua to specifically read the book of the law every day? What was about the book of the law? And he told me. And I understood why Joshua could conquer. Because one day the promised land was on the horizon. The next day it was a reality. So that's what we're about to do. Go from things on the horizon and make it our reality. That's where we're going. That's what we're doing. That's what we're about to get. We're going into this new area, on this new building, and we're about to do everything God has called us to do. No longer delayed, no longer hindered. Exactly where God wants us to be. As individuals, as a church family, God has amazing things for us. And our eyes are going to be open, and we're going to get it. Stand to your feet. Glory to God. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.